Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6, the 41st verse. If you want to open uh, whatever form of the scriptures you have with you today, it'd be great to have those open as we walk through them. John chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 41. Uh, here in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, welcome. We're glad you're worshiping Jesus, and we're uh, very privileged that you're worshiping him with us. And so you're just invited to participate this morning, however you're comfortable, uh, as you express your faith in him as well. If you weren't here last week, and we know this is the back end of spring break in this area, so some of you were just coming back, you were away, hope you had a a pleasant time away, but we want to catch you up where we were last week, because we're in this very powerful sixth chapter of John. It's one of the most altering chapters for me in my lifetime as I've learned what Jesus was teaching. It begins with the feeding of the 5,000. Then the disciples get in a boat. There's a storm. Jesus walks out on the water to the boat and he calms the storm and he gets in the boat and they appear on the shore. And last week we began in verse 22 where Jesus getting on the shore, the crowd that had seen him and been fed by him went to the other side, walked around all night long to be with him. And when they met him, Jesus, paraphrasing, he said, you want me to feed you again. I want to give you something more. And we were challenged last week because that group of people that met him on the beach, there's three distinct crowds around Jesus in John 6. There's the crowd who didn't know who he was. There's the crowd who should have known who he was. And there's a crowd who did know who he was. Last week, we looked at the crowd who did not know who he was. They were curious. But they wanted Jesus to give them what they wanted. And Jesus wanted to give them something new. Or as I said last week, they wanted Jesus to do what they wanted. Jesus wanted them to want something different. And so when you don't know who Jesus is, and he reveals who he is and his identity, you have your invitation into the kingdom. The invitation into the kingdom isn't you're a sinner and need saved. Your invitation into the kingdom is there is a king who's inviting you to be a part of his world. And we learned last week that belief is not just admitting that Jesus is real. Belief is receiving what Jesus offers. And we'll expand on that a little bit more this morning as we go. If you just jump down in your text, it won't appear on the screen, but in verse 59, you'll see a key element here. In verse 59, it says they moved into the synagogue in Capernaum. So the crowd has gone from the beach. This is, not, this is a dialogue that's taking place in a day. And they've moved into the synagogue. And that will eliminate some people that were in the larger crowd from being available to this teaching. Because the Gentiles and women could not have gone into the synagogue area where Jesus was teaching. So we've gone from the crowd who didn't know who he was to the crowd who should have known who he was. Where the first crowd was curious, the second smaller crowd was critical. And he challenges them with belief. So whether you're in a crowd who doesn't know who he is, or you should know who he is, or you do know who he is, he's going to challenge all of us with the same thing, belief. And as he extrapolates on what belief is, and he reveals to us what belief does, it grows in intensity. So a belief that Jesus is real that doesn't change your reality, is not really belief. Did you catch that? To believe that Jesus is real, but to not believe that that changes your reality, is not biblical belief. You're just acknowledging a fact. 
So what I'd like to do this morning, beginning in verse 41, is I'd like to take you to three things that belief is for those that are critical. For those who say, well, I I believe that he existed, I believe he lived, I believe he was a real man, but I'm not so sure about the rest of it. Let me show you what Jesus would say to someone who should know who he is and doesn't respond to it. Number one, belief responds to the authority of Scripture. Now, this may seem like an easy thing for us, but it responds to the authority of Scripture. If you were here last week, I painfully asked you to answer five questions. Some of you were exhausted at the end of it, but you survived it. Some of you made it through two questions, you're like, I'm not answering. But at the end of it, what I asked you to do, if you remember and you were here, was I asked you five questions, and they all came down to this principle. Do you believe the promises of the Old Testament are found and secured in Jesus Christ? And we answered as a church, well, those who answered, answered what? Yes. Yes. That the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. And with that reality established... Those that are critical, Jesus is going to come at them in verse 41 with a very similar response. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is one of the seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John. This is the very first. And when they heard him refer to the I am, they knew that that was a reference to God himself. And they were struggling. They began to grumble because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? You see, they're saying, we, we know this when he was a kid. We saw Jesus when he's four years old and eight years old. And we saw him working with his father and we knew him in the community. He's not somebody who's coming with all this mystical background. We know who he is. We know his parents. We know his grandparents. We were there when Joseph and Mary, you know, the condition she was in when they got married. They know all of this. And here he says, I am the bread from heaven. Why all the confusion? And here's what it boils down to. The people who should have known who Jesus was should have known because the scriptures made it clear who he was. They made it clear by saying, the one who does these things will be the chosen one, the son of David, who will sit on the throne for eternity. This is what we talked about last week in the five questions I asked you. And the scriptures have said, the Messiah will do this. And Jesus did it. And these religious leaders said, oh, you're doing it by the power of Satan. Or you shouldn't have done that on the Sabbath. Or you didn't do it the right way. So Jesus says, why are you struggling? What was their confusion? Their confusion was, they were looking at each other and they were saying, do you hear what he said? Are you listening to what he's saying? He's saying he came from God. It's very similar to what Satan did to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3 when Satan said, did God really say that? When Jesus reveals who he is by performing the miracles the Messiah was to perform and we ask, did you hear who he called himself? We're asking the same question Satan did. Did God really mean what he said when he said it? And there is the issue, verse 43. Jesus responds, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember, this is what triggered them the first time. How dare he say that he's going to raise us? It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Jesus is revealing that God has told us what he would do, and Jesus has demonstrated by doing each one of those things, and their response is, can you believe he's calling himself God? Because the scriptures have declared who he is. 
This won't appear on your screen, but in John chapter 5, if you might remember, Jesus had another one of these moments with religious leaders who were saying to him, you're not doing it the right way. And Jesus' response is, it's the only way to do it. He said to them, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He is telling us over and over and over. Now, let's stop. I'm saying he's telling us. He's not just talking to a group of strong-willed religious people who would rather that Jesus do it their way. Remember, he did not come to do it the way we wanted it done. He wants us to want a new way. And when he's revealing this to them, their response is, you're not doing it the right way. And Jesus said, I'm doing it the only way it can be done. And he says, and unless you see that the Father has revealed me and you allow me to be your solution, you do not have life. And thusly, you will not be raised on the last day. Now you understand, I hope, why this crowd was angry. Because they had spent their entire lives saying, we will do it our way and that will be good enough because we're doing it perfectly. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. You can do perfectly the rest of your lives and it's still not gonna be the way. See, we're not asked to decide about who Jesus is. We are asked to surrender to his truth. If you wanna know what it means to truly believe in Jesus, it's not just saying, I believe he existed. It's not just saying, I believe he's real. It's saying that I believe he's so real that I wanna become real. And the way I become real is by believing 100% and trusting completely. So belief, the way it should be, responds to biblical authority. When God speaks, we listen. We don't question, did you hear what he said? We do what he said. To hear the word of God and to do the word of God is the will of God. Second principle of belief. Belief responds by incarnational change. This is a little, I know it could be a little mystical for you, but I think I can explain it, and if not, I'll try again tomorrow. Belief responds by incarnational change. Look at verse 48. I tell you the truth, pause. Please note, in the Gospels, anytime Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's because we don't know the truth, and we're not demonstrating it. He said, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Second time he said it. He said it in the large crowd, and they were offended. He says it again directly to them in the synagogue. To say I am in the synagogue, that's a big statement. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. Yikes. So let me back up for those of you on spring break last week. Jesus said to them that he was the bread of life, and they said, well, God gave us manna in the desert. Jesus is drawing back to that from the previous verses. And he says here, yeah, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Nowhere in scripture are we asked to decide on who Jesus is. We are asked to receive who Jesus is. Because you can decide he's not who he is, and that doesn't change who he is. Are you with me? You see the logic behind this? I've decided that he is the son of the living God. No, no, he is the son of the living God. You just became aware of it. So we're not asked to decide whether he's legitimate. We're asked to receive his legitimacy. We're not asked to decide if he's real. We're to receive his reality. And we do that by this this incarnational change. So, in 1987, Heather and I 
my wife and I got married. And now little did I know what that would mean. And I still would do it knowing what it means. Now some people say, I don't know if I'd, I'd have done it in a second. One of the best decisions I ever made to marry that girl. But the thing I wasn't ready for was this. When I got to spend time with her and know her and see what she was like day in and day out, her good days, her bad days, her happy days, her sad days, her I don't like you days, and her I can put up with you days. When I learned to experience that, I found something strange happening. I began to act like and become more like Heather than I ever imagined I could. I began to absorbing her goodness and what she does well and why she does it. I began to understand that cleaning the house was not punishment. I began to understand that doing certain things because it's the right thing to do was actually the right thing to do. And what I found is the more that she and I became one, the more or the less I became of me. Does that make sense? If you get that, then you'll get what I'm telling you about Jesus. The more we believe in Jesus and trust Jesus and experience Jesus, the less you become of yourself and the more you become like him. Which where the truth of Christ becomes the truth you live by. Where the actions of Christ become the things you do. Where the attitudes of Christ become your attitudes. Where the appetites of Christ become the things you become hungry for. Where you turn the other cheek. Not because you have to, because you understand it's by the power of turning the other cheek and not responding hate with hate is the way God changes the world. It's loving your enemy, not just the ones who are kind to you. Are you with me, church? The only way to allow Jesus to enter into you, to become the incarnation. As the incarnation was God came down to earth in human form, celebrated at Christmas, and experienced for the rest of eternity that God became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among us. He showed us a perfect life. He honored God, dignified the, the truth of God, and he glorified God. And because of that, as the perfect lamb, he was able to die on the cross for our sins. He traded the perfect lamb for the imperfect lamb. And he spared our lives. And he saved our souls. And that incarnation wasn't just so that God would come and become a man. It's so that that God could enter into each and every one of us through his Holy Spirit and turn us into sons and daughters of God. What some theologians would call to regenerate us, to create us new. And with all of that theology packed together in those insufficient statements, here's what I want you to know. Belief is becoming more like Jesus and less like yourself. John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. And some will sit here today and say, but I believe, I believe that he is the one. That's not what he's asking for. He's not asking that you just simply acknowledge that he's real. He's simply saying, if you truly believe that I am the one, then you and I will become one. And the incarnation will not just be God became flesh, but flesh became like God. And the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. You see, don't let the truth of his reality allow you to remain unreal. We are not to decide about who Jesus is. We are to surrender to him. So let me get really philosophical like I can do this. There are several ways I can know I'm alive. One of the ways I know I'm alive is something my parents gave me a long time ago. It's a little tiny bracelet that does, I, I possess it. It does not fit around these two fingers. But it was the bracelet they put around my wrist on the day I was born. 
It was this little thing that St. Joe Hospital in South Bend, Indiana put together, these little white beads, and there were four of them marked with four letters, M-A-R-K. When my parents named me and signed the papers with my official name, they gave me a bracelet that identified not only who my mom was and who I belonged to, but on my other wrist was a little tiny wristband that said Mark. And I can show you that there is a factual evidence that I was alive. But I can tell you I'm living because I feel, I emote, I love, I think, I react, and I respond. I want to ask you this morning, which is most like your proof of belief? A bracelet that someone gave you a long time ago when you started this? Or can you prove you're alive by who you've loved, who you've forgiven, who you've honored, what you've experienced, what you've felt, what you've accomplished? Which is the life, which is really living? The bracelet or the experiences? We know the answer. I know you're like, I'm not going to have to answer that. That's ridiculous. It's clear. So what kind of belief are you asked to believe? A moment in time where someone gave you a bracelet or the experiences you have with the one you love? This is what belief is. It's the incarnation in you. So Christmas is not just about Jesus came for us. But Jesus came and he even said, I'm leaving so I can abide within you. Colossians 1.27, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope is not on a simple confession of faith at one point in time. Our hope is because Christ is in us. In as much as people would say to me, is marriage easy? Oh, heavens no, it's not easy. I'm horrible at it. But I love it because of who I married. Christianity is hard, right? Is it convenient? No. Is it good? Yeah, because of who I married. I'm united with Christ. We become one. It's my hope of glory one day. And it won't be my glory. The hope is that I will be able to glorify the one I love so the rest of the world will understand who he is like I do. So belief responds to the authority of God's voice in the scriptures. It responds to the incarnational change of the Holy Spirit regenerating us. And thirdly and lastly, belief responds with inspired willfulness. And this is where Jesus tipped everything on its head. This is where he irritated his audience. He was provocative for a reason. Because they were saying, did you hear what he said? And he's saying, did you not hear God say this? Verse 52. The Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Eh, you missed the point. Right? Do you see that there? He's like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be a part of my kingdom and you're not alive. And they're like, well, how can we do that? It goes back to Nicodemus when he said, a man must be born again. And Nicodemus says, I'm a, I'm a dude. How am I going to be born again? And he missed the point. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the third time Jesus has said, I will raise you up. They believed they would raise themselves up. They believed that their sin wasn't so bad. They believed inside their actions, I don't need you to be a superhero. I need you to get out of my way. Let me please God the way I want to please God. And Jesus said, you cannot please God unless you die to self and accept me. That's what he means when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wasn't promoting some ridiculous form of cannibalism, and this is what they were falling on. I don't like the words he uses. I don't like the images he's using. I don't like this perspective. I'm not as bad as he makes me out to be. 
And Jesus said, no, you do not have life if I'm not your life. And one of the things I love about Jesus is he uses food metaphors. I get those. I like those. So this is what he says in verse 55. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds feeds on me will live because of me. The metaphor he's using is, unless you and I ingest him, unless he becomes the the source of our molecular experience, he doesn't want to be a Sunday morning buddy. He doesn't want to be someone in the foyer you nod at when you see him at church and go, hey, how are you? Good, good to see you. We'll talk. And we walk away. He says, no, unless you are living because of me, food, without food we die. Notice that he uses, I'm the bread of life. He uses this drink of living water that will never run dry, we sang about earlier. If you want to know who you are, we sang about that too. I am who he says I am, then we need to understand the only reason we are what he says we are is because Jesus Christ is driving every molecule of our bodies and our lives. If Jesus is an option, he's not your savior. You cannot have the incarnation of God through the Holy Spirit in you if you're going to tell him, I've got this. So he challenges them at their core. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be alive. In other words, if I am not the one driving you, if I'm not the one sustaining you, if I'm not the one giving you strength, verse 58, as the living Father sent me and I live by the means of the Father, so he who eats me will live by means of me. Jesus says this to us. Pay attention to the equation. He says, I submit to my Father in all things, even the crucifixion. And he said, because I submit to the Father in all things, I glorify the Father and the the Father will glorify me. He says, you are to submit to me in all things, Jesus. And by submitting to Jesus in all things, you and I will glorify Jesus in our belief. And that glorification will then come back on us on that hope of glory one day when Jesus comes back and establishes the brand new kingdom he promised. Do you see how this works? Jesus submitted to God and glorified God. We're to submit to Jesus and glorify Jesus. You can't do that part-time. He has to be your sustenance. He, as Jesus gave everything over to the will of the Father, he is asking us in belief especially those of us who know the scripture, that you can see it throughout the scripture. He is not asking for a part-time discipleship. He is not asking for a belief that acknowledges he's real. He's real. He's asking for a belief that turns our reality because of his reality. So if that's too complex, let me uh, demonstrate the tables. This is how I think, okay? I like this table. Noah tried to throw it into the front row, but I like this table a lot. It has oatmeal cream pies. And the church said, amen. (laughs) Fantastic. I'm not as much a big fan of these, but I've been hungry enough to eat four or five at a setting. (laughs) McDonald's. I know some of you are going to judge me. I think heaven might smell like McDonald's. I hope so. (laughs) Having worked there for four years through high school, uh, I still do love me some McDonald's french fries. Now, they're not as good as Mojo french fries, but they're pretty fantastic. I think they're the crack of the universe, to be honest with you. Coke. Yep, if you drink Pepsi, repent. This is it. (laughs) Honestly, Pepsi doesn't need to exist. Cats don't need to exist. Coke and dogs are all we need. (laughs) Okay? So what I got here? 
I got pizza rolls. Come on. There's not a dude in here who has not waxed an entire box or bag of pizza rolls and been proud and had no one to brag to. Now, so let me ask you some questions. Feel free to respond. Is this good? (laughs) So we haven't decided this is good. Okay, so I didn't ask you if you liked it. Is it tasty? Oh. And can you get full on this? There's two things in life I've never been able to get enough of. One is red licorice and bacon. And here's what I know about myself. I always eat one piece too many. I've never eaten one piece too few. I've always eaten that last piece of bacon going, I didn't need that, but I wanted it. I've never stopped at licorice at a point where I'm going, that was enough. I'll just have two strings of licorice. That's stupid. There's a bag open. Finish it. (laughs) I live at this table. I live at this table. Let's come over here. You can't see this, but there's sweet potatoes and broccoli and carrots and apples and bananas. There's whole grain bread. There's wine. Step away from the alcohol for a moment. There's a, there's a chicken there. An hour from now, I'm going to be hurting for that. I look at this plate. Let me ask you, is, is this good? Does it taste good? I know some of you are like, oh, it's got broccoli. Trust me. Enough butter, it'll taste good. <laughs> right? And butter's good too, right? Now, I mean, you know, we Americans butter everything. That's not really always cool, but you butter broccoli the way the Lord wants you to. And cheese, maybe even better. Apples are fantastic. Bananas are fantastic. When I ask you something, just physically, before you think this is a diet conversation, it's a metaphor. Will they both fill you? Will they both strengthen you? Those are fantastic. Oatmeal pies frozen changed my life. Problem is some of you will go home and freeze them and miss the point. And you'll love it. I can get full on those and I can feel satisfied, but for how long? I eat a bag of licorice and I love to eat a bag of licorice. It's been a long time since I ate a bag of licorice. I still want to eat a bag of licorice. Fat Mark lives in me and he wants to eat a bag of licorice right now. But I've said to myself, I never felt good after a bag of licorice. I felt good during a bag of licorice. But when it was over, shame, my body's like, what'd you do to me? This film in my mouth and on my tongue and on my teeth just didn't feel good there's nothing on this table I can't eat and at the end of the day I've never eaten an apple and I wish I hadn't done that I love an apple I'm not a fan of the banana but I've never eaten a banana and gone that was a mistake it's just mushy broccoli I didn't love I didn't eat nothing green until I met Heather I love green food chicken yeah it's an easy Sweet potatoes, fantastic. Good bread, warm bread. Nah, heaven's gonna smell like bread, not McDonald's, right? You ever, I lived by a bakery growing up as a kid. And you smell fresh baked bread coming out of school through elementary. It's like, wow. A good glass of wine, the Bible's clear on that. A glass of wine a day does something to your digestion that's good. It's good for your stomach. Church, you're with me on the metaphor now, right? I can do this all day. What I wanna tell you is you're making a choice each and every day which table you eat at. This table will fill you for a moment and give you temporary satisfaction and it will taste really good while you're doing it. And this table can taste good or maybe not taste good, but at the end of the day, your body knows what to do with everything in this table. It doesn't know what to do with everything on this table. Your body doesn't know to do what, what to do with Coke. It doesn't. It thinks it's water. I grew up loving Coke. When it went classic Coke, 
I totally bought in. I can tell you now, as I've grown up, my body knows what to do with a glass of ice water. I'd much rather have a glass of ice water right now than a pop. I'm not judging those of you who drink it. I'm telling you, your body knows what to do with what's natural for it, what it was created for. Your body doesn't always know what to do with it. The reason we struggle with so many things in our spiritual life is we spend all of our time at the fun table instead of at the good table. And Jesus is saying, I am everything your body, your soul, and your mind wants. I'm everything it knows what to do with. And yet you're choosing to eat things that I've told you aren't good for you. When he said to the audience, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He was saying, I am the sustenance that will grow you, create you, and renew you. Through the words of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus as our sustenance, The challenge of this text for those who should know who Jesus is, spend some time at this table and you will forsake that table. Spend your time at this table and it's just too convenient. You might just forsake that table. There's a reason there's wine and bread on this table and you all know what it is. Because Jesus said in the Lord's Supper, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be a part of my kingdom. But should you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will proclaim my death until I come again. So the choice for us this morning is to hear Jesus say to us, the Father is speaking, the Spirit is abiding, and I am the bread. Which table do we choose today to spend our time at? One will sustain you. One will be temporary. One will bring you life. And one will only sustain you until you die. And then it will disappear. Let's stand together and worship the Jesus who offers us more than that. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.